Hey there, I'm Matthew Foley and this is ISO Insights, where God's truth grows in the midst of current culture, renewing the mind and spirit. Welcome to ISO Insights, and here we have another podcast Skype episode where we're talking to a gentleman from YouTube, actually. If you've been on YouTube and you've went around the charismatic circles and you've made your rounds, you may have run into the objective believer, or uh, as he's personally known as S.J. Newell, and he has come on the podcast today. I've, I've asked him to come on to talk about some personal background testimony of how he ended up getting into this YouTube channel he established, where he pretty much goes in and defends certain aspects of charismatic and word of faith theology that have been commonly strawmanned among a lot of the discernment channels on YouTube. So the whole idea here is to ask him about where his background came from, how he approaches the word of God, what hermeneutic he's uh, grown up with, and where he shifted to. So thank you so much, uh, SJ, for coming on today. It's an honor to have you. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to go ahead and dive in. Right, right before we started this, I actually asked you some of these questions. We'll just kind of go back over it, but we can go in a little bit more detail even. Um, sure. What is your personal background in the church, denominationally, theologically, um, and how did that relationship of with God grow, and how did you get to where you are today? Uh, it's, it's mainly, uh, Pentecostal charismatic. Um, mm. some of my earliest memories are of going to church with my parents and sitting next to the tambourine, Yeah, uh, <laughs> which you don't really see too often nowadays, but yeah, yeah uh, they put it away. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was kind of the basis and I didn't really care too much about it until my teen years where, um, I got involved with a youth group. Mm-hmm. And um, and just kind of realize, like, you know, if, if this is true, I, I need to be taking it more seriously. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so that was kind of the 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 background and the, the atmosphere that I grew up in and uh, mm-hmm. still influences me today. Did you find it overly emotional or were you did you think more in a cerebral way, like you always were thinking for the logical answer, more clear cut? Was that something that you kind of had trouble digesting growing up in the Pentecostal movement when you were younger? Yeah. Yeah, that that's actually a great a great question and observation because um, you know, you want to know it from what I'm doing today, but I was actually I kind of became a critic for a long time mm. of a lot of stuff going on because it did feel like it was overly emotional. Yeah. A lot of it seemed like um, it wasn't very biblically based. Um, and so I kind of, you know, you, you tend to rebel against what you're most familiar mm-hmm. with and what your parents raise you. And so I kind of went through that for a while. And um, But then I kind of came across some Bible teachers who kind of helped with that balance and brought that Mm. balance back. And there is a lot of emotion in the charismatic movement. And it it can lead to, you know, excesses and and errors, things of that nature. So um, but, yeah, fortunately, I kind of I realized that there was, I guess you could say, like a branch of of that which was more kind of logical and, and not so emotional and not mm-hmm. like the emotions are wrong, mm-hmm. obviously. Uh, but they just have to, um, you know, they shouldn't dictate what you believe, yeah. but if they're a result of what you believe, then I think that's, you know, that's great. Mm. I, I recently heard this, uh, he's an apologist and I won't mention his name right now, but he's, uh, 
making rounds on YouTube, very, very popular on YouTube. And he was talking about uh, my assumption. He doesn't share his denomination, but I, he strikes me as liturgical um, from some kind of old school form of Christianity. But he made the statement that Christianity traditionally is a fully logical uh, religion, that, that you come into it by researching and finding out the historical claims of the resurrection are true. Now, while I love that, I thought that was a really bizarre thing to say, because in the New Testament, in Paul's writings, in Jesus's writings, you don't see a focus that's just exclusively a logical argument. And Paul even said the kingdom of God is, uh, what, what did he talk about? He said that it's found in power, you know, it's not in persuasive words. Well, right. the context would indicate powers, miraculous demonstration, things that God right. does that interrupt the normal world we live in. But not that I don't think apologetics and those things are extremely important and are true. But my thinking is, uh, here's where my mind's going. When you talked about you had this critical bend where you're trying to figure out, all right, what is all this emotionalism? How can I parse it and divide it from what's legitimate? What was the moment in that time? Maybe it's not a particular one, but one that you could say, all right, that's when I began to shift and say there's something to this movement of charismatics and Pentecostals that's legitimate, that is biblical. I would say, um, and this was something I had related to you when we were talking before, um, I had asked my youth pastor about some Bible teachers and things that maybe I should check out. Mm. And he recommended Kenneth E. Hagan. Mm -hmm. And um, so I went home and it turned out my parents had tapes, cassette tapes of them <laughs> already. Uh, that That's another story. I, I turned out I grew up with all of these, like a treasure of, of books and tapes mm -hmm. and stuff that just sat like in my parents' closets and, and on the bookshelves and stuff, never realizing what it was. And then once I got into it, I just like dug into all that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, so, yeah, I went home and I listened to some Kenneth Hagen. And honestly, the first time I listened to him, I think it was like one tape. I, I, I kind of thought it was boring. So mm -hmm. I went back, I talked to my youth pastor and he's like, now nah, spend a little bit more time listening. So I went back and I listened more. And, uh, and yeah, that was kind of, one of the turning points for me is, is he was very, um, he was very, in my opinion, biblically based. Mm -hmm. And he, he warned against a lot of the stuff that I had seen too, you know, um, people allowing emotions to drive them or allowing a vision mm -hmm. to, uh, you know, supersede the word of God. All of these things are kind of some dangers that you kind of run into, um, in, in this movement. And, mm -hmm. and he was, he was warning against that stuff. He had a very uh, basic approach to the Bible, um, and yeah, and and that just it it blew up for me, and and just kind of changed the course of my life, and um, and I don't I don't want to say that in in respect like oh Kenneth Hagin is this great guy blah blah blah, mm -hmm. uh, it was what he was pointing towards, which was this simple approach to God's word, like we can really believe yeah. what this says, like. It doesn't, I mean, it could be it needs further explanation, but a lot of times it doesn't. You just got to act on it and believe it and accept it. And um, that was something that I hadn't really run into up until mm. that point. And, um, and so, yeah, that kind of got me on that track. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a Bible-based believer. And uh, this is where it led me. You know? Wow. So. I, I think that that's something that is powerful about 
word of faith movement. I think that's the the core of the theology is let's take God at his word and expect a concrete result, not an abstract emotional experience. And that's that's, that's lost a lot. I mean, whenever yeah. you hear about people teach you. See, I mentioned this about Rod Saunders too, and if I mention his name too much, people are going <laughs> to, it's going to get weird. But John MacArthur, for instance, he's going to tout, he does tout how charismatics are so emotional. It's a fully emotional experience. Their faith is emotional. But someone getting healed is an emotion. I mean, right. that's extremely concrete. And right. one of the great things that I've noticed about uh, your videos and that you return to is in this theology... There's not a, a lot of places you can hide when you take what Jesus says about faith literally. It's either yeah. you see the results, he says, or you don't. But yeah. a, a lot of people have sensitivities about healing, for instance, when it comes to, well, what about someone who's very sickly and who has believed in faith and hasn't seen the result? Is it just because their faith is not strong enough? And you, I know you've mentioned this before, but what would you say to that kind of thinking? Well, what's interesting is... My first thought about that is I feel like there is a danger of emotion in that situation. Mm -hmm. So we see a situation like this and our heart goes out to the person or maybe it's ourselves, someone we love, a friend. Our heart goes out to them. And so we want to have an explanation mm -hmm. that comforts. Yeah, And this is a big subject and we go all on and on about it. So I don't want to. I don't want to um, give too many definitive um, answers here, but yeah. um, it's a lot harder to accept the idea like, well, you know, Jesus did say, you know, it, he did tell the disciples, you weren't able to cast out this demon because mm -hmm. of your little faith. And he, he didn't, he wasn't soft about it either. He said, you unbelieving generation, how long can I, am I going to have to put up with this? Mm -hmm. Um that's rough. And so I feel like it, it's funny because we were just talking about the, the tendency of charismatics to be overly emotional and, and to influence the doctrine. I feel like in that instance, a lot of times that's exactly what's happening is our emotions are influencing that doctrine. Mm -hmm. And so I think you kind of have to siphon out the emotion from that question and just approach it 100 percent with with the bible and with logic mm -hmm. and see where you end up and i think you know if you do that and i have a video where we get into this you, you realize there are a lot of scriptures that connect faith with the miraculous yeah and you know and then you have places like in james where he says the double-minded man shouldn't expect to receive anything mm -hmm. um so i it's a complex issue, but I don't think we should pretend that that side of it doesn't have any validity. Mm -hmm. Like, let's not even think about the idea that it could be a lack of faith issue. Yeah. Um, it's like, why not? I think we do need to think about it. And yeah, it's rough. Mm -hmm. um, one comparison that I try to, to help use to put this in context is think about uh, the salvation issue. We believe uh, uh, orthodox idea uh, central to our to our doctrine is that if a person does not believe in Christ, they will go to hell and spend eternity in hell. Mm. Um, that is a harsh idea, mm. and yet the premise of it is basically the same format for what we're talking about here, except wow. instead of hell, it's you You stay in a wheelchair, mm -hmm. but it's the same idea, but the consequences are way more severe. And yet 
most Christians have no problem accepting the idea that if somebody doesn't believe, they're going to end up going to hell. So mm. I hope I, I'm, I'm making that distinction. I'm not saying, I want to clarify, I'm not saying people in, in wheelchairs go to hell. Yeah. <laughs> I'm saying I that the same, the same ideology of your lack of faith will lead you to hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have no problem accepting that. But then when it comes to your lack of faith might result in you being in a wheelchair or with that disability or something, we're, mm. We find it so horrendous that we don't even want to think about it. And mm. again, I'm not even saying it's 100% true. I'm just saying yeah. I think we need to think about it. And that's that's something like I'm not clear cut on the idea. I mean, 100% clear cut. Well, the reason that you didn't get healed is because you don't have faith or that God's will is at all times immediately to heal. Um for instance, well, we could get into the whole subject. There are cessationists who say, well, if God really did this, if God really did this healing, because some charismatics claim a healing that is progressive in stages, for instance. Uh, and if they'll say, cessationists say, well, if this is fully God's healing, then it would have been immediate because God heals immediately. But that's not true from the Gospels. Jesus, there are multiple occasions where a healing was progressive. Jesus lays hands on a man. First, men appear as trees, then he lays hands on them yeah. again, then it sees clearly. Then the, uh, there were a group of lepers who were healed on the way after Jesus touched them and prayed for them. So the amazing thought process that I have is there is a, a degree, I'm not saying that I'm, my thinking is amazing, <laughs> but it's like, to me, the amazing part is it's mysterious. It's, uh, there's not a clear-cut answer sometimes with the way that God deals with healing. But God does say in the scripture, Jesus said, if you pray and believe in my name, then you have it. And we know James says, if you pray with the wrong motive, then God may not give you what you ask for because you're praying for the wrong reason. But first of all, I don't think healing, rare is it to pray for someone's healing and have a bad motive. I'll say that. But I do think there are cases in the New Testament where someone does not receive healing immediately or there's the potential of Paul's thorn in the flesh where we don't even know if it's a physical ailment. It could be persecution. It could be something else. But let's just say if it was, uh, perhaps there's a case to be made for God allowing someone to bear something for a time, uh, maybe even to the rest of their life to keep them humble. That What do you think of that? Do you think that's a potential? And I speak as a charismatic, as someone who believes in healing. But what are your thoughts on that? Hmm. Uh, that is an interesting question. Um, I, some, in some areas I kind of lean reformed Mm -hmm. in the way that I think. Um, but so with that said, let me give you, um, uh, an example and see if we can apply it here. So, um, you know, like reformed people will say like God controls everything. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, you're struggling with sin. And even though he's not involved in that sin, he, there is a way in which he is somehow sovereignly guiding that situation. You know, mm-hmm. it's weird how they explain it. And it, it's hard to understand. Um, so, but at the same time, they'll say, but you should still fight against it. Mm. And you should still resist it. Mm-hmm. And if you do, you can overcome it. So yeah. it's like there's the two sides to it. And so 
if you were to ask me, do you, do I think that there might be, a, and this is just me personally talking, I could be wrong. I might think about this interview later and been like, that was a bad answer. I don't know. But <laughs> you got if the you were to too. ask me, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, all these discussions should be ongoing. That's something yeah. that I try to say all the time. It's don't put a cap on it. We could talk more about it later. More information might arise. Uh, but if you were to ask me, is there such a way in which somebody could be struggling with sickness, et cetera, and, and that be true, and, and, they're belie- and they're trying to believe and all of that, but it's also true that by his stripes we are healed, mm-hmm. um, I might say, yeah. But I would say it in the way that a Calvinist would say, like, maybe God ordained for you to sin. And again, I know some Calvinists would hate for me to say it that way. Mm, yeah. So it's a very complex topic because you're not really saying he ordained it in, in a way that he prescribes it. it yeah, it, yeah, it's very, you know, you, I, hopefully you kind of understand where I'm going with that. Oh, yeah, so in other yeah. words, you, you can say it's God's will for that person to be healed. They will be healed if they believe, mm-hmm. um, but they're not healed. And in such a way, that's God's will, because um, as Ephesians 1 says, he works all things after the counsel of his own will. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It, it, again, that's something that I haven't entirely fleshed out. Yeah. I prefer to kind of just... And there's a, I feel like a lot of times there's speculation with that stuff. And I'd rather, like in my videos, you're not going to hear me talk like that because I prefer to just kind of stick with what the scriptures say. Yeah. But if you were to ask me, that would be kind of the answer I might give. Well, I don't think that's, that's entirely unfair at all because, uh, first of all, God clearly doesn't disclose all the information on this side but gives us principles uh, to live by and simple commands that we can live by, you know, everything that we need to live to be thoroughly furnished unto godliness was that the King James version in second Timothy three seventeen. But the, the interesting thing is God does command us to pray for spiritual gifts. God right. commands like, that's what Paul says in first Corinthians. God commands us to lay hands with the elders, gather around, lay hands and pray for the sick and believe for healing. Thank you so much for watching ISO Insights, ISO Bible College's podcast. And I wanted to let you know about something that we offer, making it easy for you to see the rest of the courses that we have sampled in our videos here on our YouTube channel. You can use our All Access Pass, which you can find more about both in the description below and at isow.org, our website. By using the All Access Pass subscription, $99 a month will get you full access to all of our course catalogs. So please do go over and check out our All Access Pass at iso.org. I'm going to move from healing to something kind of different. Let's talk about prophecy for a little bit, if you don't mind. Um, So Trump elections, huge debacle, (laughs) like all over the United States. Charismatic people were saying, oh, yeah, he's getting in a second term. This is going to happen, not to get into politics, but to get into the, the prophetic theology side of it. It didn't happen. Uh, a lot of people were kind of struggling with it, backpedaling to this day. A lot of people say, okay, well, maybe it was a spiritual sense in which it happened, even though at the time people took it literally. But there's a, obviously, I think this is a situation where, all right, well, that didn't happen. So that's a problem. But there are scriptures in the New Testament where, or even in the Old Testament, though Deuteronomy mentions how strict it is, the standard for prophets being so strict. You know, if you're a false prophet, you're going to be put to death. 
both in the Old and New Testament, there are circumstances where prophecy is not extremely clear-cut. But the standard that a lot of Reformed people, a lot of cessationists hold for Pentecostals and Charismatics is like that Deuteronomy standard of, okay, you need to give extreme detail if you prophesy. It need, every single part of it needs to be literally occurring when it happens. Uh, that's the standard that's held to. But for instance, you have Agabus in Acts who prophesies about Paul being bound which we don't know of ever occurring literally, but the overall message of the prophet, of the, of the message is like, okay, listen, um, you're going to go to Jerusalem and you should avoid that because we love you and your life is going to be in danger if you do. But Paul, he, he did go anyway. He chose to, even though God warned through Agabus that danger was in that path. But we all assume that it was God's will for Paul's life to actually follow through go to Jerusalem and end up being martyred in Rome for the gospel. So to me, what is the standard? That's my question. What is the standard for prophecy for New Testament Christians? Is it different than the Old Testament? What is it not so different and we just don't understand the Old Testament? Well, this this may be a question. I don't know how often you've answered it before, but what are your thoughts about that? It's funny. I've actually avoided this topic. Um, (laughs) I have been like slowly putting together some some ideas and material because I did I did want to address it and it is kind of the elephant in the room mm-hmm. um, right now with the whole Trump thing um, so this is one of those topics where I'm still not sure myself where mm-hmm. I fall I have more questions than I have answers mm. um, one thing that I will bring up is when you study prophecy um it isn't always clear. Sometimes it is. Like that instance mm-hmm. you gave there in Acts, that's pretty clear. But other times, um, it's like it's exactly like what, what people were kind of claiming about the Trump thing. is like he's going to literally become the president. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, it's like, no, 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 it's something else. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the disciples, um, if it's my understanding, the disciples thought that Jesus was going to literally become king yeah. of Israel right at that time. And then afterwards, oh, no, 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 it's not that. It's Mm -hmm. spiritual, you know. Mm -hmm. So you kind of see that happening with the prophecies in Scripture, where at the time you think it's going to be one thing, and then after it happens, you look back, and it's like, oh, okay, so that was something else. And here's something that's interesting. Moses is the one that wrote Deuteronomy. I mean, supposedly is what they say. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he, uh, I apologize. He did write Deuteronomy. I was thinking of Genesis. I guess there's some debate about that, but anyway. Yeah. There's like, um, there's a debate about like whether Joshua or someone else in the priestly class had to write about Moses's death and tack it on the end. Yeah. 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 So that, but, um, but he wrote that and, and he delivered that whole idea from God, that command that if a prophet says something and it doesn't come to pass, Mm -hmm. he's to be put to death. But Moses himself told the elders of Israel that he was going to take them into the promised land. He said, God, there are actual scriptures where he says, when you get to the promised land. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't an if, it was when. And then after it didn't happen, then he's like, God is saying, even though I swore I would do this, I'm not going to do it Mm -hmm. after the fact. And then Mm -hmm. Moses himself didn't even make it in. Yeah. So it's like, okay, so Moses' own standard, you know, you, you could argue, and again, I'm not arguing this, I'm saying you could argue it, that Moses himself didn't even 
live up to that whole idea of what the prophet says will come to pass. And if it doesn't come to pass, yeah. then you shouldn't listen to him. Yeah. And so I have all these questions in my mind. Again, I believe, just to clarify, I believe Moses was a prophet. I believe <laughs> yeah, well, we believe you. The Bible, the Word of God, I believe all that. <laughs> but I have these questions about, okay, so what exactly is the standard for prophecy when when it feels like we have all these fail-safes in place, even with prophecy and scripture? Yeah. Uh, and so that's kind of where I'm at with it. I was reading in, I think it was Philippians last night, and when you actually put on it, I'm sure if I put out a chronology in front of me of the uh, prison epistles and the time period from when Paul first was in prison to before he was executed, you know, that would be really enlightening. But I do know uh, Philippians was earlier than 2 Timothy, <laughs> and 2 Timothy was before he was beheaded. But in Philippians, he said something that really was interesting to me because he was talking about how he was so hopeful in Philippians. He was like, woo, he's like, yeah, come on, guys. He said, I know you guys are going to come visit me. And I believe he would say something like, I believe in God. I believe in Christ, that you guys are going to encourage me. I have all the encouragement I need. And then he says, and God willing, I will be uh, free in the gospel. He put it that way, like free in the gospel once again. And his language sounds like he's saying, I am praying and believing, which sounds like a word of faith person. I am exercising my faith that I'll be free. But he also states it in such a way where it's almost like, but no matter if I'm not physically free, I'm hoping to get physically free, but even if I'm not, I'm going to be free in the gospel. In other words, there's going to be a spiritual freedom, even if I don't have a physical one. But it's so interesting how he words it, because if you, if you read on in 2 Timothy, he realizes... And he talks like God has revealed to him that he's actually going to be executed. And he talks about how all the people have abandoned him. And all those people he was hoping would come visit him, very few have actually come to visit him. But he has peace in his spirit because he knows his mission is complete. Now, I got to tell you, that exact same kind of discourse with self happens a lot with charismatic Christians who are made fun of for being flighty or, or having a weird kind of emotionally led prophetic attitude. This idea of, well, I'm going to confess that God can set me free if I'm in prison, or I'm going to confess this or that. Now, it, was, it seemed like what Paul, am I making sense so far? Yeah, yeah. It seemed like that what Paul was saying, though, even though he seemed to be confessing out of faith, people were going to visit him in prison and that he was going to be a freed man. Even though out of faith he did that, he still tempered it with this balance of surrender to God. Like, eat, yeah. now, if it doesn't literally happen, I surrender it to the Lord, which James even talks about. Don't say, tomorrow we're going to go into this city and do this, but say, if God wills. So, um, do you think, how do you think that people who do believe in word of faith and do believe in confession and declaration and prayer, what do you think is an appropriate balance from the extreme of, no, you can't tell God what to do, you know, thinking of it that way, versus, well, you know, God give, gave me authority, and so I'm declaring I'm going to get a free car in two months, you know, something like that. How do you balance those? Yeah. Uh, it, it is difficult. I feel like I've probably spent... A lot of years struggling with that balance and there's been mm -hmm. times where it's like somebody was asking me the other day um they were well they were asking and telling me 
that they thought it was dangerous to to be teaching people that they're already healed because mm. then they might go out and and not take their medication. Yeah. And um and I've actually seen that happen and I've seen bad stuff happen as a result. Mm-hmm. I've had it happen in my own life where I thought I could believe for something and um I wasn't in the place where I could believe for it and it ended up hurting me mm-hmm. um because so this is something that I feel like isn't talked enough about um, in charismatic circles um, that there are, if you're not a hundred percent, like you've been studied up in the word and you've listened to this Holy spirit and you're in faith, then there are some pitfalls to be avoided. And um, uh, so I, I do, I do feel like that maybe I kind of think of like, and maybe this doesn't a hundred percent answer your question, but like the book of Proverbs, I mm. feel like is a good balance because Proverbs, it's kind of all about common sense. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Very, very common sense. If you do this, uh, you'll get this result. Exactly. Yeah. I think there's even a verse in there where it's like, if you ring the ring, constant ringing of the nose will like produce blood or something. It's like, <laughs> well, really? Yeah, I guess, you know. So it's Fair this enough. very common sense book, yeah, and I feel like it brings that balance, yeah, and that's something where um, I have heard taught a little bit, like you can't violate natural laws and then expect God, because natural laws are God's laws too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just the faith and the stuff. It's like God's the one who set that up to work the way it does. Um, but at the same time, I've seen all that go out the window. People throw out their medication, and mm-hmm. they they are healed, yeah. you know? So, um, you know, maybe that goes back to the whole, you know, what we're talking about, like the mystery and the paradox and this side of heaven. Um, at the end of the day, you have to side with God's word regardless. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but there are a lot of things like that. And, and, and I feel like when you were talking about cessationists, reformed people, they really like to drill down on that and like really amplify that like what are you going to do about this like how, what's your answer mm-hmm. whereas this is what i like about like the quote-unquote word of faith is they'll say i don't know but this is what the word of god says so at the end mm-hmm. of the day i'm just going to stick with the bible now, I, I did a video where um i addressed some comments that mike uh if you're familiar with mike winger yes very familiar yeah, yeah. Okay, he, he did a video on Bethel. Um, he did a recent one, and then he did one like three or four years ago. Anyways, he was somewhat criti- criticizing Bill Johnson because Bill Johnson, a lot of times his answer was, I don't know. Mm. But you know what? This is what the Word of God says. Mm-hmm. And Bill Johnson had, and I'm not saying I, I'm, I'm a advocate for everything that Johnson says or mm-hmm. the church, but he's got some really great teachings and, and I especially like his approach when it comes to that. There's a quote where he says, we can't preach our experiences. Wow. Our experience, we have to preach the word and the experience has to catch up to it. And if the experience doesn't catch up to it, it's not going to change the fact the Bible still says what it says. Mm-hmm. And um, that for me is like, that's why I've stuck in the quote unquote word of faith circle so long is because it almost seems like we're the only people that regardless of what happens, we're not going to allow it to uh, affect our belief in God's word. Wow. Whereas everybody else, it's like 
some people would be like, well, have you ever seen a real mountain be moved? You know, and then Jesus wasn't talking about that. It's like, yeah. no, you don't use observation of the real world to interpret the Bible. You use the word of God to, to bring you those insights. Mm-hmm. And if you don't see it, you don't see it, but that's still what the word of God says, you know? Yeah. And anyways, I could go on and on about that, but. Well, I totally, I totally agree about that. I mean, I remember talking to a guy, this is a few weeks ago. Um, he was a physician, a physician, very smart man. Um, and he was talking about moving mountains. Now, he didn't say, well, that's obviously not what Jesus meant. He said something very interesting. I've never heard anybody say this before. It was so funny. Uh, he said, you know what? I can't move a mountain, and it's because my faith's not great enough, and most people's faith's not great enough, and even if it's a mustard seed. It's just super literal. But he was like, but that must mean that most people's faith's not great enough. So he just went for it. And I also, when he said that, I thought about the the man who brought his demon-possessed son to Jesus. And yeah. Jesus, like you said earlier, you quoted it. He just rebukes the disciples and said, this is a wicked and perverse, unbelieving generation. How long am I going to have to put up with you? And he said, bring the boy here to me. But when the father, he asked the father, do you have faith that I can heal your son? The father says, help my unbelief. Yeah. That's his response. So he knew he was struggling with his faith, but he knew he wanted to believe. Yeah. So I think that's a pretty, that's, I don't, I don't think that's a bad place to be. I think that's no. better than just giving up because at least you're saying, yeah. God, I'm really struggling with this, but I want or, you to help me. Excuses. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that, that those are instances where you can either make an excuse for it. Mm-hmm. And again, I've said this before, if your doctrine, you, you sincerely studied the word of God and that's what you think the Bible says, that's great. But if something happened to you or you didn't get an answer to the prayer and then that drove you to arrive at your conclusion, I don't think that's so great. And what's interesting about that instance of the disciples there is that's after, when you go back and look at it, that's after Jesus had given them Mm. uh, authority to cast out demons. So he gave them authority to cast out demons and yet they weren't able to do it in that instance. Mm. And I'm going to try to um, condense this story, but it's interesting. There's a there's a clip on YouTube where John MacArthur, and again, I'm not anti-John MacArthur. Mm-hmm. I think he's great. He's a great teacher in a lot of cases. But in this particular clip, he's talking about how he dealt with an exorcism case, which is always interesting because it's like, whoa, you know, that happens outside of charismatic circles. Okay, mm-hmm. I guess it does. <laughs> but it's just interesting to hear how they how they they talk about this. So in this story, he says that. Um, him and a friend of his were trying to cast this demon out and they kept commanding it to come out and it wouldn't come out. And then MacArthur, he has this commentary right there. He's like, and we realized we didn't have the authority to cast out demons. So the end of the story is that he, he's like, we got to take this person to Jesus and he can do it. So I guess they lead him to Christ and mm-hmm. that's great. Person got mm-hmm. delivered of demons, but his conclusion that we don't have authority to cast out demons was because the demon wasn't coming out when they commanded it to come out. Mm-hmm. But that's exactly what happened with the disciples. Yeah. And yet the conclusion was your unbelief. Mm-hmm. And now what's interesting is you, so you take that story and then there's the story of, that Kenneth Hagin once told where he's commanding a demon to come out of a guy and the demon doesn't come out and he keeps commanding him and it doesn't happen. So he tells the guy it's in a healing service. So he tells the guy to go sit down because he didn't know what else to do, because he had a line of people to pray for. Mm-hmm. And Jesus appears to Hagen right there on the on the stage. Nobody else saw it. But Jesus said, I told you 
that you can cast out demons. And Hagen's like, I know you told me that, but I tried to do it and it didn't work. And Jesus just said, I told you that you can cast out demons. And he's like, I know you told me that, but I tried to do it and it didn't work. And I can't remember it happened three or four times. Jesus said didn't say anything else except that, which is exactly what the Bible says. Uh, and then Hagen finally picked up on it, which is you don't take no for an answer. Mm-hmm. You cast that demon out because yeah. he said you have the authority. And so he was finally able to do it. So you take those two stories, one story of MacArthur trying it and giving up, and then one story of Hagen being like, you know what? The Word of God says I can do this, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to for an answer. And so yeah. that kind of highlights that difference there in those in the ideology. And I think it's even interesting that because that, that's 100%, I think, hits the nail on the head. Because even in Scripture, when Jesus himself cast a demon out, it says that the demon, the, in many of these cases, the demons would throw the person around, flail, and it would say they would cry out with a great noise, and then they would come out. So it's like the yeah. demonic throws a tantrum in response to the word to come out, but then eventually they come out. So that matches up with Hagen's experience because he's saying right. he's telling it no, but it's not happening immediately. And Jesus right. is just telling him the same thing, which is like persist. I think that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. absolutely. Um, well, you know, this has been a, a great episode. Thank you so much for coming on. And uh, Thanks, I, we're going to have to continue this subject, similar one soon in an episode. Thank you so much, uh, Brother Newell, and we will see you soon. Thanks. Absolutely. All right, y'all, thank you so much for tuning in to ISO Insights. You have a blessed one.